how do we compare the carbon footprint of a plane trip to the carbon footprint of the food we buy in a store? And can we really live in a carbon-neutral way? Welcome to Renewable Future from the Renewable Materials Company, Store Enso. In studio today is Tina Payula, a carbon footprint expert at the Finnish Research Institute, VTT, and also on the line from Cambridge is Elliot Whittington, the Programme Director from the University of Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. Welcome to Renewable Future. Our subject is carbon footprint. And before we really get started, I want to know first from yourself, Tina, I mean, how do we actually go about measuring or thinking about a carbon footprint? Well, as we all know that that there was this huge problem about uh, climate change and it's all about too much carbon in the air. So to make sure that we can mitigate this problem, we have to measure the carbon footprint, which actually means all the greenhouse gases we produce throughout the whole life cycle of our products and our our operations. Elliot, we spoke earlier about this as well, and you had a kind of a neat way of measuring or or of sort of breaking it down into three different components. Perhaps you could give us a run through on, on, on sort of a... Sure. A... Yeah, it's not my not my neat way. I think it was originally developed by the World Resource Institute. So, it, and it's a sort of standard format that's used in all carbon footprinting that you divide it up into three different scopes. So scope one is the direct emissions that come from the operations of developing a, the thing that you're footprinting, whether it's a company or a product or whatever. Scope two is the indirect emissions from electricity. So if you've used power somewhere, Someone has possibly burnt fossil fuels in a power station to to generate that power. And scope three is pretty much everything else. So it covers the indirect emissions that might come from the value chain. So so the footprints of the the products or services that you use to make the thing that you're footprinting, but also going the other way up the value chain. So if people travel to uh, a out of town store to buy a the product in question, then the emissions of the customers involved there. So scope one and two feel like they okay, they're pretty you can measure those fairly concretely, but there's this scope three then, Tina, it seems extremely broad. Is there a way of tracking that down? Yeah, it, it is a problem to track this because you need lots of data and uh, and actually when measuring and calculating carbon footprint, data collection is the most time consuming and at the same time, most expensive part of this uh, study. There's software in place now as well, though, also to, to give yourself an, ac- an accurate measurement. Is that correct? Yeah, there are many softwares available. But uh, if we want to have accurate carbon footprints of our own products and our own operations, then we have to collect the, the primary data. The, then the gener- generic uh, databases are not... Uh, detailed enough. Now, is there a willingness to do that? Is there a willingness to collect this kind of data so that people understand how much, what their carbon footprint of their product or service might be then? Yeah, and, and it's growing. So if I take a question with yourself, Elliot, I mean, if how can I know or how can the consumer know what a, the carbon footprint of any kind of product is? I mean, this is, I guess, the, the million dollar question. How do we find out, you know, what sort of a carbon footprint we're all you know, giving out, you know, on a daily basis by buying the tin of beans or do we buy the tomato ketchup, you know, and do we know which is better for the environment? Well, I mean, some companies have got to try to introduce sort of carbon footprinting for their whole range. Some have 
uh, used it as a guide to their company strategy. So they've they've identified the carbon footprint of the company, and then they've gone right. Well, we want to bring our emissions down. So where do we? Where are the hotspots we need to focus on? Um, but it's it's different for different companies and different approaches. There isn't necessarily an off-the-shelf standard answer for how do I compare between this tin of beans and that tin of beans or whether I'm going to have beans for dinner or uh, pasta. But the measurement of carbon footprint is standardised, right? I mean, there is a sort of a global way of measuring. It's just that it could be interpreted slightly, particularly in scope three. Well, there is a standard protocol for guiding how you go about carbon footprinting, but then how that's worked out in the detail, I think there are different methodologies that different organisations use. And are there any examples of, uh, you know, of large companies that are selling sort of business to consumer, you know, large items or, or not large items, but a lot of items where they're, where they're putting out that uh, carbon footprint of every product that they're selling? I mean, has anybody successfully done that or have any, anybody tried? I, I obviously can't answer that comprehensively on behalf of every company in the world. There may, there <laughs> really, may Elliot? A, Come on. There may be a company out there who's doing that. I mean, one one of the the uh, experiences that I've had uh, or um, I, I know about is the Tesco's major UK retailer. That they About 10 years ago, they embarked on a strategy where they tried to put carbon footprinting labels on a lot of their products and a lot of the products on their shelf to empower the consumer. They went a long way with that and they did that for a couple of years and they started to roll it out for more and more products and you kind of go, well, okay, this bag of crisps is six grams of carbon or whatever. Bluntly, at the end, they, I think they got to a stage where they realised that it wasn't quite worth the work they were putting into that because they have such a number of product ranges and there's such complexity in every carbon footprint to do it. And because consumers weren't, aren't necessarily interested in that level of information, they are interested in knowing if I buy something, is it broadly speaking responsible and the best thing that I can buy and I'm not making any kind of major kind of emissions or, or problems. And if you, you tell me about the problems or you tell me about why it's good, but they're not necessarily interested in the, in the numbers. Now, Tina, I know that also Elliot doesn't know of every single company in the world who's uh, doing this carbon footprinting, but we know there are some regulations coming. Maybe you can tell me what's, what's happening on an EU level. Yeah, actually... Uh... Um, as carbon is not the only problem we have. So uh, the commission is launching a product environmental footprint, which is going to measure all relevant environmental impacts of of, uh, product category in question. So they have picked up some product categories to start with, and they have uh, developed guidance how to calculate environmental footprint for this product category and then actually the consumers at the supermarket could compare between different products at the same product category. So we could see right across Europe in 2018 certain products where there are direct measurements on on product impact or environmental impact then. Will there be demands made on producers to, to start labelling their, their products? Uh, it will be a recommendation at the beginning. Let's talk about carbon neutrality then. Um, Elliot, is it, is it, is it possible? Or, or what exactly then is carbon neutrality? And like, can, we, can, we, can we actually achieve it? Well, we have all globally committed through the Paris Agreement, to, uh, maybe excluding the US for now. Yeah. Um, hopefully they'll, they'll come to their senses. Let's hope. Uh, yeah. uh, that we will all get to a point where that you know the the emissions that are being put out in the atmosphere are balanced out are, are negated by things that draw emissions down from the atmosphere like growing a tree or potentially some new technology or whatever um, how you do it for a product is probably is both easier and harder because it's 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 easier in the sense of 
there are processes and, and systems out there that save carbon and there are some that, that, um, that reduce carbon so you can find ways to uh, you can invest in those. Where I would say it shouldn't be thought about is this kind of idea that was, was particularly in usage about 10 years ago about offsetting. Offsetting is me saying, okay, my product, I can't reduce the carbon emissions, but I can I can yeah. buy someone else's service who's also reducing carbon emissions for some, from something they're producing. Is that kind of... Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think if you think, if you go back to what I was talking about in terms of the world is committed to net zero, now I think up until now we've all had these kind of targets of let's halve global emissions or let's bring a global emissions down to 80%. And, and whenever anybody hears that and they're thinking about, right, what do I need to do to reduce emissions? They go, right, well, I can get rid of this and I can get rid of that, but that bit's just too hard. So that bit goes into the... 50% or 20% of emissions that we're still doing. And if anybody says that's a problem, what I'll do is I'll offset it, I'll pay somebody else to do some reductions on their side, and then then I can say my product is, is carbon neutral. Now, the problem is if everybody's going to zero, those, those latter things will get more and more in demand. And... Uh, you know, it behoves us all to do everything possible uh, to bring down the actual emissions, because we will need to sooner or later. It has to be so done one way or another. Tina, it is it one way or another? Is is it possible? Can we bring it down to zero? Well, uh, as it all comes from the energy production in the end, all, all this carbon emissions. So, so as long as we use fossil fuels and fossil energy sources. It's practically not not the case. Yeah. I mean, uh, to to simplify a little bit, uh, the carbon from renewable resources is part of the cycle in the globe, and and it is regarded as net zero. But those coming from fossil sources, which have been stored in the in the ground for millions of years, and now then now that we release those carbons. Uh, that that's the reason for the climate change. This means that we should just stop using fossil fuels completely. Yeah. Now, <laughs> but of course this is not possible as long as we don't have uh, practical ways of store energy. There's not enough energy, if you like, in the world to meet our demands. Uh, that comes from a re- renewable source, basically. No, unless we have good ways to, to mm. store, for example, the solar energy. Yeah. Elliot, are you optimistic about the future, about, about bringing the, the carbon footprint down to zero and, or, or even a negative figure, as you were talking about? I'm not completely optimistic. I, I have some causes for optimism. So I, can't, I try and focus on those. And, you know, it's things like the disruptive, far faster than anybody predicted growth of um, renewable energy sources, particularly solar and wind, um, and the way that the costs of those have come down far more quickly than and far lower than anybody predicted. And those kind of disruptive changes and how quickly changes can happen because of that kind of thing. But I, I would have to say, I'd have to acknowledge that we've genuinely set ourselves or we've worked ourselves into a situation where we have a major challenge on our hands and it's not easy. Tina, are you as, um, I'm not sure if that's optimistic or pessimistic. It sounds really more pessimistic at the end there, Elliot, than pessimistic or than, than optimistic. What, 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 how do you think yourself? I, I believe in people and I, I count on the, this hope that uh, we, we find solutions and would, but to start with before we have all the technology to succeed I think the easiest way is just to consume less right 
Now, you also have been measuring something called a carbon handprint. Maybe you can, that's a cause of optimism, I would have said as well. Maybe you can explain that. Yeah, it's uh, as we normally we measure environmental impacts uh, through negative impacts like carbon emissions or other emissions or resource use. But at the same time, uh, many companies do a lot of good things that uh, that are uh, increasing the environmental performance. And uh, it's only been a problem that uh, we lack a methodology or, or rules to how to calculate and measure these good things. And now we have a project where we try to... Uh, develop a methodology to calculate carbon handprint to start with and then we can expand it to other emissions and basically the principle is that uh, if my action reduces your footprint it's my handprint right sort of like offsetting except more that it's it benefits you the the hand printer as if you like yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah, and of course, at the same time, I try to reduce my own footprint, but I can also help you to reduce yours, and that's my handprint. And if I help a lot, <laughs> my handprint can be even big, bigger than my footprint. So could a standardized method like that be the, the kind of sort of motivator that's required for companies to actually go down this road at a, at a faster speed then? You think I think it could definitely accelerate things because if you if they if they can point to a, a kind of independent rigorous assessment of this this kind of work, it will make what they're claiming much more credible. And I think a lot of the time in this place in this on this kind of work, we're looking for things that can cut through accusations or real instances of greenwash or people claiming things that don't really stand up. And particularly as we see investors and others really looking to use their money in a positive way, which is a growing trend at the moment, then they are hungry for these kind of data sources that they will be able to to use to steer their money into the better places. That's an optimistic note to finish it on. Tina Paella, Elliot Whittington, thank you very much for being a part of Renewable Future. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Renewable Future from the Renewable Materials Company, Store Enso.